Come in, come in. Welcome to the second edition of Dr. Kino's Film Emporium. My name is Toby Reynolds and I am the proud owner of the Emporium. It's lovely to have you here again. So this week we have an Emporium's front window display for your delectation and delight. One of my favourite films by one of my favourite directors, uh, the Armenian-Canadian director Atom Egoyan. It's his 1997 film, The Sweet Hereafter, which is a, a drama that takes place uh, in British Columbia in Canada and deals with a number of fairly weighty themes, so grief, secrets, incest and the communal healing of a town after a particularly tragic event. It's based on the 1991 book by the American author Russell Banks of the same title, and it's set in, um, as I said, British Columbia, Canada, rather than upstate New York, which is the uh, book setting. So it's Egoyan's seventh film, and it's really starting. To, he's really starting to hit his stride in terms of uh, his command of his material. I think in this case, it follows on from his most commercially successful film, which is the thriller Exotica from 1994. Um, it's also his most critically acclaimed efforts as well, which it's just won a huge slew of awards, including being nominated for two Academy Awards for the Best Director and Adapted Screenplay. So you may be asking yourself, why is it in the Emporium if it's for underappreciated and uh, under-the-radar films? Well, unfortunately, the critical acclaim it did not translate into commercial success, which is really why I've chosen it. Um, the budget was five million, but it only really managed to accrue 7.9. That's a worldwide um, profit as well. So not really particularly large profit on such an amazing film. There are reasons for this, which I'll go into later. And that's, uh, that does need to be taken into account. So it's a hell of a shame because it is a simply superb film. It's beautifully crafted. It's stunningly shot and it's incredibly well acted by an incredibly talented cast as well, including Ian Holm, R.I.P. Ian, uh, Sarah Polly, uh, the Canadian actor Bruce Greenwood, Arsene Ken Jian and Gabriel Rose, who's also a very noted stage and screen actor from Canada. So very, it's very much a Canuck effort, um, but it really could, I think it does touch on really universal themes, which you know probably gives it um, a huge appeal. So the music as well, I think, is an unsung star, so to speak, no pun intended. And it's by Michael Danner, who did The Life of Pi and soundtrack and got um, Oscar uh, recognition for that as well. It's one of his best scores, I think. It's, there's um, a use of very well-judged use of medieval instruments, including uh, what's been called a crumb horn. Uh, I'd love to know what a crumb horn, got, how it got its name. But also the Persian ney flute, which is N-E-Y, the ney flute. And it really is very evocative of uh, snowy landscapes and etc. So enough gushing from me. Why is it so good? Well, for me, a really good film is always much, much more than just the sum of its parts. And this film is absolutely much, much more than the sum of its parts. You could uh, have some kind of formula. Uh, you could assemble a great cast, do great cinematography, yada, yada, yada. And it's still not going to be a guarantee of greatness. Most of the generic Hollywood pap that does pass for film these days is, I think, at best probably competent, but there is something missing. For me, The Sweet Hereafter has this missing ingredient, this filmic chemistry in spades. It's also a rare example, all too rare, unfortunately, of an adaptation that is as good as its source material. So there aren't many films that can do this and please both fans of fans of film and fans of the book or the source material where it's from. But I think The Sweet Hereafter manages to do both. 
the Lord of the Rings and Name of the Rose, I think, are two off the top of my head that do actually succeed. But I'd love to hear from you other examples of where that does work. Um, I think The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt is probably one of the ones that doesn't. But, you know, that's uh, purely a personal opinion. Egoyan treats the source material with reverence but doesn't is not afraid to change it if it needs to and it does need to sometimes because i think it makes a fantastic film and if you film the book it's not the same it's very multi-layered in that there are stories within stories so the robert browning poem the pied piper of hamlin is a constant presence throughout the film it haunts it it's a major factor within the narrative and it's a lovely example of literally a grim fairy tale rather than a Grimm's fairy tale uh, being successfully transplanted into into contemporary society. And Browning's story does, as I said, it hangs over everything. It's haunting like a, you know, just this, this ghostly background presence. And it gives this film a patina of melancholy and slightly fatalistic as well, which it's really hard to get. It gets under your skin, There's, especially when the music references it so effectively. It's also narratively very much a film of flashbacks of memory and deals with the pain of past events and how they influence the present. So this film seems to suggest that we cannot escape our past and we can't always escape our pain, but we can come to terms with it and we can accept it. And if we do that, then the hold on it doesn't have to be forever, but it will be in its own time. So Egoyan mediates this narrative structure absolutely masterfully. He's really hit as I said he's really hit his stride as a director and he's got total command over his material we're moved around between differing perspectives different times individual backstories of the town because it's very much an ensemble film and they're all filled out subtly skillfully they're never intrusive we're left with a strong sense of real people real people's lives and how they're affected by the tragedy that befalls the town so what is this tragedy well Given that the film is partially based on the Pied Piper of Hamelin legend, the town loses all but one of its children. Not to a Pied Piper who hasn't been paid for his work with rats, but a much, much more prosaic cause, um, namely a school bus crash. This particular event happens in the very middle of the film, and then the narrative deals with an after-effects on the town, bringing to light all the secrets, the lies, uh, affairs, incest, etc., and this stew of emotion is catalyzed by the arrival of Mitchell Stevens, who is Ian Holmes' character. He's a big city lawyer and he's got secrets of his own. And he gradually persuades the townspeople, one by one, uh, to launch a class action lawsuit against the town council or local government. So it's a way of gaining revenge and recompense, but he also has his own reasons. Um, we soon find out that he's also grieving the loss of his own adult daughter to an unsavoury lifestyle involving drugs and AIDS, which he is powerless to prevent. So is he working out his own grief and rage via the class action? Well, very probably. But he is thwarted ultimately in this by Sarah Polly's character, who's the only surviving child from the uh, bus crash who is crippled, just like in the story. And she deliberately lies in her deposition uh, to the inquiry and subsequently derails the lawsuit. So it's an amazing scene at the end as well. And it's it's uh, this is very much a, a film of looks and unspoken uh, emotions going on. And her look that she gives her father as she starts to regain her memory of how he's treated her is really quite, it's quite something. So defeated, Mitchell Stevens returns to the city and his own problems and his own grief. And he doesn't really seem to achieve any kind of closure 
or peace, which is the name of the film The Sweet Hereafter, which is a state of grace that can be arrived at after accepting and experiencing grief and loss. By contrast, the town mechanic, who is brilliantly and sympathetically played by Bruce Greenwood, uh, does experience this moment of grace. And it's, in, again, in a just in a superbly underplayed scene where the wrecked bus in which both of his daughters died is finally removed from his garage's forecourt where it had been waiting until the inquiry was over. Nothing is actually said, but everything, everything is conveyed by his look of relief as the bus is eventually hauled away in a flatbed truck. So in a crowded field, I think standout performances are from Sarah Polly as this abused teenager, as Bruce Greenwood as the mechanic, and Ian Holm uh, as the lawyer. And his his big city sophistication, his uh, smart suit, etc. They barely cover this. There's a painful brittleness and an anger at the fragility of life that he conveys really well. Just some of the performances that give this power, uh, this film, such a huge power and a huge depth, and gives it that, especially this sort of filmic chemistry which i think is really important um it's been voted in 2004 and you won't be surprised as one of the top 10 canadian films of all time and i think because it's held that position in there ever since um, i would heartily heartily agree with it as did slovenian critic slavov zizek and he called the suite hereafter arguably the film about the impact of trauma on a community so it's one of these films that does reward multiple viewings but do be prepared to have your tissues at the ready it's a seriously sad film, which I think mainly explains why it did underwhelming box office and has subsequently slipped somewhat off the cinema radar. If I can, in my own small way, persuade more people to see it, then that would be a good thing. Um, it really, really does deserve to be seen. And if risk of sounding like Malcolm X somewhat, see it by any means necessary. It is out on DVD. It is reachable. You won't regret it if you see it. My own viewing was in initial viewing was in 1998 when I was traveling through Australia in Melbourne and I had a spare evening. So I was one of about three people in a suburban cinema. Uh, and in some ways, I'm really glad because I started weeping about one third of the way through and uh, just kept going. Um, I felt wrung out, but somehow cleansed as well. So this is definitely cinema as therapy. Uh, go into it with your eyes open, so to speak. Thank you so much for your attention. I hope um, you've enjoyed this podcast. Uh, this Emporium is now closing, but we do look forward to seeing you next week for more Cinematic Delights. Take care, have a great uh, cinema experience, whatever it is, and check out the website as well. All the best. <laughs>